Okay, so today I'm going to be sharing with you my story of my personal journey with mental health because I want to give you a glimpse into my experience with life before diagnosis, actually getting diagnosed, and my life in between and afterwards, and the very unique experience I had with what I call the beginning of my healing. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Mental Health for Holiness podcast, a podcast for women who want to find hope in their mental sufferings and improve their psychological well-being so they can love Jesus more. I'm your host, Talia Cruzzi. I'm a wife, a mom, and I've been managing bipolar disorder for over a decade while also continuing on my own journey towards holiness. And I am so grateful to be able to coach other women to do the same. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen today, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, so I'll start with just a brief overview of my childhood, just to give a little bit of context. Uh, I grew up on a farm outside of a small town in southeastern Minnesota. My dad was a farmer. My mom was a nurse by profession. She mostly stayed at home, more so after I was in fourth grade. She worked very, very part-time after that, and um, I am one of seven girls. I am number six out of seven, and so it's interesting learning about sibling order and things, um, particularly as I see it in my own children. But yeah, I grew up with a lot of emotions and moods and yelling in our house, um, as is expected from a house full of girls, but I also... We had a lot of hugs, a lot of physical affection from my mom and my sisters, and overall, I thought I had a really good upbringing. Um, We went to church, and I memorized Bible verses, and I knew that it was really important to love Jesus, and, you know, my faith story is a whole different story um, that I'll share at another time, but we grew up, uh, I was baptized in the Methodist church, and then we went to an evangelical church for the rest of my childhood, basically. And then I became Catholic when I was 20. So um, I went to public school with the same 80 or so kids from kindergarten to 12th grade. Uh, I thought that was what everybody did. And then I went to college and (laughs) people were like, oh, did you go to private school? I'm like, no. Um, So I was totally out of the loop with just how things work in like more urban areas or just bigger school districts. So um I was very active in sports and music, and I was good at lots of things. And, you know, when you grow up in a small town and you're good at sports and music, you kind of have this audience that compliments you a lot, and you kind of get to feel a little famous. Um, I think Miranda Lambert has an old song called Famous in a Small Town. Uh, So that's pretty much what my life felt like. Um, and I just loved it. I loved having attention. I loved being rewarded and uh, having lots of pats on the back and winning awards. And that is honestly what drove a lot of my discipline. Uh, I was, (laughs) I was also, of course, unfortunately then just extremely shallow and really into myself. Um, I mean, I will tell you that my main goal in life as a high schooler was, to be homecoming queen. And so there you go. Um, I wasn't homecoming queen, by the way. And in a sense, my in my memory, uh, it was somewhat the beginning of the end, if you will. It was a very dramatic moment. Um, but that was the beginning of my senior year. And 
that year is when I also really started to struggle a bit with symptoms of depression, which I would say really just looked like situational circumstances of just not reaching my goals. Um, So I would say that the depression just started out as severe disappointment in myself um, because I simply equated my self-worth with my accomplishments. You know, uh, that's what the world celebrated and I, I wanted to be celebrated. Um, so I struggled, I struggled with eating and my relationship with food all throughout high school. Uh, my junior year, I was very thin, but I was also really athletic. So, you know, I had, I had lots of muscle and I didn't look, um, like scary, I guess, or, or whatever. Um, I just thought skinny was healthy because that's what I was kind of being told by the culture anyway. And you know what? I ran faster and I won more track events and I got a lot of compliments on how good I looked. And I mean, who doesn't want that, right? So after all the restricting, I started to really emotionally eat a lot when I started to experience these disappointments. So a lot of binge eating, which is very distinct and very different from you know, having a big meal at the holidays. Um, I would only eat quote unquote bad foods by myself, never in front of others. I would eat very fast. I would eat until I was just in a lot of pain. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily a lot. It was, sometimes it was just eating three bowls of cereal in quick succession and eating it very mindlessly. And yes, I, I gained weight, but you know, I gained like 20 to 30 pounds. And then I would just kind of get on the loop of like I restricted a lot and then I would exercise a lot and then I would binge and you know just so it was this it became this hideous like circle but I looked kind of normal um so and it was it was it was easy to hide I'm really tall um and because the externals weren't like quote-unquote bad enough um you know nobody really thought anything of it but the mental prison that my relationship with food and exercise and calories and emotions and just all of that, it was such a mental prison and it was awful. I mean, it really, it really felt like being trapped in prison. So, okay. I also didn't get into the college that I wanted to. And so that was disappointing. And I did not know how to deal with the disappointment. I was a very black and white thinker, and I equated disappointment with being a failure. I was not really ever taught that failure is just a part of life, and that it's actually usually an invitation to growth. I think about failure very differently now. Um, So that would have been helpful to know (laughs) back then. Um, So I, I, I went to college. I was quite attached to my high school boyfriend at the time, and so... I kind of just went where he went, and we both headed off to the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida, which was a culture shock, to say the least. Oh, my land. Um, I mean, (laughs) I knew I wanted to go somewhere different. I always wanted to go like, I'm going to get on a plane and go to college. And I always wanted to go somewhere big, but hot dang it. I mean, you were still putting a small town Midwestern farm girl in the middle of Miami and it was it was interesting um 
I mean, that's one word for it. So uh, another word would be like, it was just, it was terrible. And I hated it. It was, I was just, I was a complete fish out of water. Um, the party scene was so extreme that I was, I was, I was just a little appalled. There was so much drinking. There was so much promiscuity that, I, I mean, I was just like, that's okay. That's not even safe. This isn't even safe. It was not subtle in the least. Um, and in, you know, looking back, maybe that was a good thing. Um, but if you want to talk about major disappointment, it was majorly disappointing. And I just felt so lost. I had been looking forward to college for so long, being told it was going to be the best four years of my life for so long. And um, it was it it was not that. So um, and then my boyfriend and I broke up. So that happened uh, late my freshman year. And that was really hard. And it just felt like everything sucked. Like, I try not to say that word, but literally, it sucked. I I went from being famous in a small town to absolutely anonymous in a large city. And so I think someone needs to write that song because it it was it was so odd. It was like an, an, an anonymity. Yeah, it was like this high value, you know, of like, I get to do what I want when I want and nobody's going to know. Um, and for those of you who haven't grown up in a small town, you realize that you have accountability all around you because everyone knows who you are. They know your parents. And if you try and get away with something, your mom's going to know what you were up to before you even get home. So anyway, um, Without that accountability, it was just, it was weird. Um, So meanwhile, back at college, I would have these depressive episodes where I just like literally locked myself in my dorm room and I would just watch endless amounts of TV and I just kind of self-medicated. And you know what? Everyone else was kind of doing the same. So it was, you know, quote unquote normal. Uh, The best thing about this time was that I just started to go to church a lot because I, I didn't know where else to go. Um, I was just so desperate for meaning and purpose of some sort. So that was the light in the dark. Uh, but as far as my mental health went, eventually I developed this pattern where like Monday through Thursdays, I would be super disciplined and I would eat well and exercise well and I would feel really good. And then suddenly like Thursday, Friday would roll around and it would remind me that I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any plans. And I just felt my loneliness like engulf me like it was attached to my body. And I just felt like a totally different person. And I would say that this pattern was was pretty much a wash, rinse, and repeat, honestly, um, for all throughout the rest of my college. Even after I transferred colleges, because I realized after my sophomore year, I'd been in Miami for two years, and I was like, I really don't like it here. Oh, like you can actually transfer. Like, that's a thing. Um, (laughs) I always thought of it as like, no, that would be quitting. And actually, it's okay to quit things too. Um, So anyway, I went back to the Midwest and I lived in Duluth, 
Minnesota and I did have good friends there. Um, in a sense, going to a place where I felt more comfortable in my skin and I was growing in my faith and I was a bit more active with extracurriculars. I ran cross country and I had a great group of friends where we biked everywhere. We ran everywhere. Um, Duluth is a great uh great city of crunchiness so there's a lot of a <laughs> lot of runners a lot of bikers and it's great um it's also very cold and it doesn't really phase anyone everyone just goes skiing so we had so much fun together um but in all of that it still didn't fix what was going on for me mentally and unfortunately it's, it got a lot worse um, I think the best way to explain it was that if I was with people, I was okay. So if I was surrounded, like literally physically with people, I was okay. If I was with my friends and we were doing something, totally fine. The minute, and I mean the absolute minute that I was alone, it was like this black curtain was thrown on me and I, just, I couldn't even function. As soon as I was alone, the negative self-berating thoughts took over and those thoughts led to feelings and those feelings led to actions that were self-destructive. Uh, so notice at this point, I was aware that, you know, there was something wrong. Like, I'm like, I don't think this is normal, but I just thought I was kind of depressed sometimes. I didn't even notice that like my highs were highs. I thought, no, my highs are like that's who I am. I'm super productive and I'm um super like the center of attention and I love being um super creative. I have lots of good thoughts. Um I mean, I have lots of thoughts in general. Um I'm a people person and I just thought, well, okay, so maybe I'm a little intense, but and maybe I'm a little outspoken, but that's just who I am. You know, it wasn't until right after college uh, after those college years that I started to notice that my highs didn't always serve me so well. You know, up to this point, my highs served me very well and I got a lot of stuff done. Um, and I started to recognize that I really craved kind of being out of control, if you will. Like I craved like just being crazy. And um, thankfully I had good outlets for those cravings because by God's good grace, um, I really don't know what else it was. Um, my moral standards held me accountable to certain things that were just like off the table. So like going and having sex with people that I just met or something was, was like that was just like not an option. Even though that's what was happening around me, I was like, I still don't think that's a good idea. Um, I also didn't drink a lot of alcohol because it was something that was a part of my family history. And I just remember thinking in college that, you know what, a lot can happen in one night. I remember repeating that to myself so many times that a lot can happen in one night. And all it takes is one night of a lot of bad decisions or maybe just one decision that leads to lots of bad decisions. And I guess that was just that was my mantra. Um, but also, again, I honestly think it was just a lot of grace from God. And um, so Back to my highs that not really serving me well. I, um, how this manifested in itself. I didn't like, I didn't, self-destructive, I guess, was, would be um, like I, I, again, I had that 
the food thing or I would exercise a lot. I never cut myself because then that would make me, you know, that would put me in a different category, if you will. Um, I drove really fast and somewhat recklessly. Um, and I kind of had always done that, but um, I never really premeditated it before, right? Like, I just want to go drive really fast and listen to my music super loud and just be crazy. And a lot of times I took this craving for like losing control or craziness. I took it out on food and exercise. I mean, I would, I would eat out of control and I would exercise out of control and then I would run miles and miles and listen to my music and then I would eat and eat and eat and then I would notice that my thoughts would keep me up at night and lots of racing thoughts, which is hard because it made it hard to express my thoughts and articulate my thoughts. And it was like I would start down this train of thinking and 60% of the way down the track, I would take a sharp turn and start thinking about something else. And then a new thought would pop up, but they were just, they were so fast. You felt like a victim being attacked almost. And then I would, and this led to sleeping problems. I had a hard time falling asleep and I would drag the next day. And if there wasn't anything to absolutely get me out of my bed, if I didn't have to be at class or work, I just stayed in bed. And then even if I did have class or work, it began to not be enough to get me out of bed. And so all this to say that my life was extremely unstable. I was all over the place. I had no idea what I was about. I had my faith and I had my family and, and my friends. You know, those things were anchoring me down. But I even started to feel those anchors start to somewhat like lose their grip a little bit. So at this point, I think it's important to point out how the mental illness took form within my circumstances, right? It started out very situational, but it grew to a point that was chronic and deep. And on a scientific objective level, I had this brain chemistry that was probably genetically predisposed to being expressed, right? Given the right environment, but in a negative way, right? So for example, if my, if my body la- lacks the vitamins and minerals and nutrition that it needs to have optimal health, the, the viruses and germs and chemicals and whatever are going to have a good chance of letting illness grow, right? So same thing with mental illness. You give an environment that is lacking self-worth, it lacks purpose, it lacks meaning, but also like a real lack of physical nourishment, like your brain is not making the right chemicals or the right balance of them. And it's, it's going to give a really good environment for this mental illness to grow. Now, the point I want to make here is that I think there is often this thought in our culture that I have this mental illness because it's just part of my genetics and that's just how it is and it's just brain chemistry and that's all it is. And that's the reason we need to end the stigma is because that person is helpless and there was nothing they could do about it. And I would argue that I don't think that 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 is the case in many instances. It's it's possible. I mean, I'm not going to act like I'm a complete expert in genetic expression here. But from what I remember in my genetics course in college is that genetic expression is often dependent on the biochemical environment that it's in. And while you may not have actual control over that biochemical environment, 
The point is that environment on a macro scale is important for what grows and what doesn't grow. An environment can be defined in many ways. It's biochemical, it's cultural, it's social, it's mental. It can be an open environment, it can be a closed environment. And there are parts of our environment that we can control, that we can choose or not choose. So I think we need to end the stigma, not so that mental illness can be quote unquote normalized and just, you know, yep, some people have mental illness and some people don't. And, you know, that's genetics for you. And, you know, if it if you have happen to have it, well, sucks to be you, you know, that that whole thought leads to hopelessness for that person. And I think we need to end the stigma so that we can look deeper at what is causing this. What is the real problem? How do we address this so that we can relieve suffering? Not just ending the stigma so that people aren't offended or feel bad. I mean, we don't, I mean, not that we want people to be offended and feel bad, but I mean, we can't just say, well, I don't want to offend you. That's not helping that person because oftentimes they're acting out as a cry of like, I don't know what else to do. All right. So. The next part of my story is about addressing the problem. And, you know, trying to define what is the problem. In my experience, the system that we have in place only addresses the brain chemistry part of it. Throw some medicine at it and that's all we can do. Like, good luck. Don't feel bad about yourself and just take your medicine. And there's just so much more to it than that. So much more than just medicine. So stay tuned for the next episode. I hope that this beginning part of just sharing my experience and my story gives you some food for thought and God bless your day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mental Health for Holiness. If you did, I would greatly appreciate it if you left a rating and review and shared it with everyone or anyone who popped into your mind while you were listening. I truly believe that this conversation on mental health is really so necessary to our culture at large. And so I would be so grateful if you could help be a part of spreading the message. I also want to encourage your participation in the conversation. I would appreciate any feedback or if you have your own mental health story that you would like to share and how it has affected your own journey towards holiness, feel free to reach out. You can contact me at mentalhealthforholiness.com backslash contact. And know that I am praying